Ready, Captain? Yes, anytime. Almost feels like you're in a cockpit here, right? <laughs> I say that I, to everyone. I never, I never thought about that, but yes, it's true. I say it to every other person. Like, doesn't it feel like you're in a cockpit? But for the first time, I have a captain with me. Yes. And he's like, I don't know if it does. <laughs> It, you, you do have a bit of that feeling with the headset. A, a little bit, yeah. Yes. You know, runway 29, yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to a new episode of the Mo Show podcast. Uh, first time ever. I'm very privileged to be uh, uh, in the presence of a captain um, uh, for Saudi Airlines. Uh, captain Ismail, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Like I told you, I, I think before uh, we started, uh, ever since I saw your podcast with uh, Princess Rima, uh, that was an amazing uh, interview, and uh, I really love what you do. I think it's uh, excellent. Like we, like we talked about earlier, I think you open up a window to Saudi Arabia that has been closed previously. So thank you for that. My pleasure. I really appreciate you acknowledging that. Um, I appreciate Princess Rima acknowledging the platform as well. And um, I think it was the right place at the right time, you know, as we were talking just a second ago, that through the world of decentralized media, now we get a chance to tell the people about us, yes. as opposed to their media telling them about them. So here we are today about to tell them more about us through Excellent. through your stories. Interestingly, interestingly, Captain, you never wanted to get into aviation. And here I am about to ask you how many hours or, mashallah, tens of thousands of hours have you clocked in the pilot seat? How did that all happen from not wanting to get into aviation to being a senior captain at Sardinia? Okay, well, uh, it uh, I always wanted to get into IT. I was interested in software, programming, etc., or items in engineering. Uh, my brother has always been an aviation enthusiast. And when we both went to university at the same time, uh, we went to university, uh, every Riddle Aeronautical University, where we could... Uh, have both majors. So he could go ahead and study aviation. I could go ahead and study IT. And when we were doing that, my father asked me, he said, well, if you like, why don't you try flying and uh, see if you like it? If you like it, continue. If you don't like it, go ahead back to, uh, you know, studying IT. And I was 16. I was young at that time. Uh, like I said, I think I got my first car and started flying at, at the same time. And once you put me behind the uh, or once you put me in a cockpit, uh, I got addicted. Uh, I mean, I really never, never crossed my mind, never wanted to do it. When on my first flight, I was addicted. And until today, I still have that same feeling. I think we, you know, we, we touched on it a bit, but I, I still love it. I still love flying. It's just amazing. Do you, do you think that the moment you no longer enjoy it, you'll stop doing it? In other words, you're, so long as you are enjoying what you're doing, you're going to keep flying. I think it's... You know, it's still a job. So what happens with, with, with some people is that uh, when you do it day in, day out, day in, day out, it's not an easy job, first of all. Like people think flying, it's, it's exotic. It's, look, I enjoy it. I love it. But we have to understand it's very regulated. So you're not just going up and, you know, enjoying yourself. Uh, it's, you know, you, when you rotate the aircraft to take off, it has to be 2.5 degrees per second until you reach X amount of degrees. It's very, very, very regulated. The other thing, the job is tiring. It's really tiring. So I think in order for you to continue in this profession, you really have to love it or else it's very difficult to pursue it. And that's one of the things I think that, that maybe yes, uh, the answer to the question is probably yes. You have to probably really have it as a passion, really enjoy it to go ahead and do it. So definitely. I think one thing people don't realize that I'm 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 trying to put myself in your shoes. It's not just about taking off flying and and you know you're you're a pilot, but it also means a lot of time away from home, away from your family, living in hotels. Does that get a bit monotonous and tiring as well? There is a price to pay for everything you do. Definitely. Whether you're an executive in a big company, whether you're uh, a pilot, whether you're a doctor, uh, there's things that you have to give up. For everything there's a there's a a, a cost for everything that you do. Uh, executives, I can tell you, as, as an executive, uh, you don't have time for your family. You, you, you have to concentrate. Things have to move. And when the country moves faster, you have to move faster. It's a lot more time that you put into it. And it's the same thing, I think, with flying. With flying, yes, it's a lot, uh, a lot of time away from home, and, and that's part of the job. 
but you get used to it. Uh, it does put a lot of responsibility on your better half that they're supposed to pick up all of the things that you're not doing. And uh, that's something, you know, very important to know. You know, if, if you're getting into aviation and you're married, you know, your wife better better be on board. So uh, the least favorite uh, profession that a wife would want her husband, maybe that in UFC. <laughs> Look, but we, we only talked about the bad side. We didn't talk about the good side. The good, the good side. Look, in UFC, I think that's a little more difficult. But, but when we talk about a pilot, that was the, that's a difficult part. But the beautiful part, uh, when you become a little more senior, imagine in your month and you're planning your life, you say, well, next week I want to go to Paris and I'm going to buy some clothes from this store in Paris. I'm going to plan my line so that I have dinner in London at this restaurant. Uh, I hate this coming up. I want to go to Rome, so I'll let me plan it for Rome to go and buy these things for my daughter. And, and so there's a negative side, but there's a positive side. And when your wife can come along, believe me, that's also an, an additional <laughs> item that they would love in it. But I don't think they'd want to join you in the UFC getting into one of those areas. <laughs> so I think it's it, there's there's perks with it too. Why do, I don't know who it was that told me, that if you knew, if you understood the aerodynamics of turbulence, you will no longer start sweating when the plane is going through massive turbulence. I used to be terrified of it. I went skydiving once, and the problem happened when we skydived. There was a lot of wind that came. Okay. Second chute opened. We were coming in quite hot. I It was like a near-death experience, for me. Oh, and I never skydived oh. again. After that moment, turbulence doesn't scare me anymore. So I had to go through that. But for those who are terrified of turbulence, yes. um, what do you say to them to make them more at ease when they are felt or when they do feel the sensation of turbulence? Okay. Uh, first of all, aviation is one of the safest modes of transportation. Physically, yeah. Uh, the second thing, the airplanes that are tested uh, prior to being put in service can sustain immense turbulence. So part of the testing that they do for airplanes is they actually bend the wings up to things which would never occur in normal flight and do the same thing uh, downwards just to see that it can take that capacity. So usually when, when you're flying, it, things happen with differences in, in wind, convection sometimes, the heat, moving air up. Anyway, it's just a displacement of air. As long as this displacement of air, it'll cause bumps. But that's not going to take you to the ground, or that's not going to flip the airplane. It's just displacement of air that moves the aircraft a little bit. So once you understand that, you start to become comfortable with it. Well, I know it's not going to do anything to the aircraft. The aircraft is safe. I know that we're, we're at you know decent altitudes, nothing, even if it went down a little bit, we're, we're, we're still fine. And uh, pilots are trained for this. The aviation industry is a very, very, very heavily regulated industry, and they take a look at anything that actually caught, you know, happened with turbulence recently, and they go ahead and try to counter it. Then I doubt you could see anything, you know, I don't remember any accident that occurred because of, you know, turbulence. There's certain severe turbulence that would occur, and some people did have their seatbelts on maybe, and things they didn't see, you know, certain items happen. But in general, it's, it's a very, very, very rare occurrence. It's very safe, and there's, you know, really, as, as a pilot, you know, I, I've you know, I have over 13,000 hours of experience in all different, type, different types of aircrafts. Uh, it's, it's very safe. It's very safe. Never have encountered something that, that caused any difficulty. What about air pockets? It's, the, it's, it's a downdraft. It's basically a downdraft. So what happens uh, in certain locations, there could be, uh, let's say you're going right after a mountain. With the mountain, the uh, wind, when it goes over the mountain, it causes a low-pressure area right after uh, the mountainhead. And that would just make it make the aircraft sink a little bit in that area. But basically, it's still turbulence. And it, although it's, it's a little bit annoying, it's nothing that the pilots are worried about or anything that's going to cause anything serious for you. So be happy. <laughs> You're safe. Everything is well. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about turbulence. No, no doubt. Um, 
and statistically it's backed that it is the, the, the safest form of transportation. Yes. And anyone who disagrees with that uh, is, is, uh, is just uneducated about that specific statistic. Um, what was weird is, I, well, I asked the question about the air pockets because I knew of its existence for forever. Yes. But I experienced one two years ago. Okay. But you might find it odd because it was on the border of Saudi and the UAE in, in an A380. The plane dropped for five seconds, flat area. Well, and uh, that was a that was a moment for me. I, I think it was the only time where I've heard people scream on a plane. So, so I I was sweating, Captain. I I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine A three eighties. It's super. They're super big. So if if it drops like that, were, were you in weather? Was it raining? No, was it? No, it, it wasn't raining. It wasn't. So it's clear air turbulence. Yeah. The problem with uh, that we have when we fly is. Usually, we can tell where turbulence is, but the way we tell is if there's moisture in the air. So what happens? Our radars, they go ahead, when we have them on, it goes ahead and it reflects the moisture in the air, and that shows us where turbulence is, because we can measure the moisture, and we can tell if the moisture is moving up, moving down, at what speed, where's the distance, what's the intensity. All of that helps us to predict the areas of turbulence, well-known science. The problem is when there's no moisture in the air, so if there's no moisture in the air, you cannot tell where there is turbulence. It's undetectable. It's undetectable. And the only way you can tell it is by other pilots giving reports. So if I'm flying and we get into some turbulence, clear air turbulence, immediately I'll report it to ATC. ATC will be aware and they'll advise the other pilots. Also the other pilots on the same frequency, you know, in specific areas, you maintain a common frequency. When they hear that also, they know where where the turbulence is at and atc will also constantly notify them so that's difficult to to determine i always wanted to know if captains report as you would on the road if if uh, you know if there's a huge bump or hole in the road you'd, you'd, you'd report it um so captains do do that if they go through severe turbulence it is reported so that the planes behind them bypass it and don't go through it definitely by law they're supposed to report it. No, they're they're supposed to report it if it's specific intensity, but also as a courtesy they'll do that. So uh, you know, flying it's a, it's a it's a small community, uh, and and in flying, whether us or our, our competitors or everyone else, we don't see com- when we fly we don't see the competition. Operationally, there's no competition. So if you look at us, all of our neighbors with their airlines, operationally we share information as much as possible because we want to be safe. Uh, when you get into people maintaining their distance, that's for network planning, going to different cities, where should we go, what's the profitability? But with the rest of the aviation community, like I said, in general, operationally, everyone is trying to help each other to increase the safety. And that's one thing that makes aviation more safe. If one accident occurs in South America, the rest of the aviation community will look for methods to avoid it. One accident. Everyone in the world, aviation-wise, will go ahead and find specific answers to why this occurred and what can we do to avoid it. And that's what makes aviation so safe today, as, even as compared to 10 years ago. So would you say that the aviation sector is one that is built to get safer with time? Definitely. It's inherent in the regulations, the way it's built, the airline industry, to constantly improve without any external effort. It's it's a loop, it's a continuous quality loop that uh, goes through. And def- that's why it's one of the safest, uh, I mean, that's why it's so safe, the industry itself. Were you ever stressed in the air? Before we move on to the next topic. Well, how long do you have on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, I statistically, nothing should ever happen to me when I fly again. I've had many different items that have occurred in my life, uh, flying, that uh, definitely there's there's times that you get stressed out. There's times, and, and that's uh, unavoidable. Uh, but the thing you do is you learn to manage it. You learn to manage your stress. Uh, everyone, we train everyone to make decisions. I mean, if you, you see the pilots when they go through their their training, some pilots, they love to fly, but they're timid. Now, one thing that you have to have in a pilot that we teach them inherently is to be able to make decisions. You have to make decisions under pressure. You have to understand when 
you don't need to make a decision right away. So it's not just about making a decision. It's about when you should make the decision and how you utilize all of the resources around you to improve that decision making. But in that, you'll see, even if it's a timid pilot, once he gets into the cockpit and he has to make a decision, you'll see him, you know, just hitting out what he has to do. So that's, that's uh, you know, wh one of the things that, to help them deal with stress. Lots of the things we do also is you don't want to think in certain items. Time, critical, emergencies are items that we train pilots to do uh, without thinking. If you have this, the you, no one opens up a checklist at the beginning of these time critical emergencies. If you have an engine fire, if you have some other items, what you do is you immediately respond and it goes by memory. I mean, you know, you, you, for, for pilots who've been doing this forever, I mean, it's immediate. This happens, you know, one, two, three, four, you do it. Then they're going to back you up at the checklist and they're going to go ahead and then we'll start doing things one by one, cross check, making sure everything is there. But we, we teach them to deal with the stress. We te teach them to deal with emergencies. And uh, like I said, it's very highly regulated. Nowadays, when, when pilots fly, everything is monitored. So let's say the captain, first officer, today they took off of Jeddah. Uh, we have a certain speed you should rotate at. So say your rotation speed, we, we call it VR. The rotation speed was 130 knots, 135 knots. Uh, on ground in Jeddah, we monitor that. If they rotated at 130 knots or they rotated at 140 knots, we can tell in Jeddah immediately uh, how fast they're climbing. We have it in Jeddah immediately. Who is the one that pushed the controls or who's the one that's manipulated the controls? We see it immediately. That's called flight data monitoring. And all of these things, the pilots know that they're being monitored. And it's just to help improve with the trends. We don't look at, it should be we're looking at specific people. We're looking at trends to help avoid, uh, you know, specific actions. And that's what makes us, even as CRD, as one of the you know, safest airlines in the world. You know, we, we have a very rigorous process in doing this safety-wise. On the subject of safety, I've noticed from a young age, and now the more people who come to Saudi, even my friends abroad, who have rarely used Saudi, they say, oh my God, the landing of the Saudi planes are nothing like the other, the other airlines that I've been on. Is that something that's like, uh, that Saudi takes very seriously because it looks like, mashallah, it's always done flawlessly. And I see it as well. When I'm on the other airlines, it's like, and I'm like, my God, could, could you not just take your time? But with Saudiya, it's almost like I know I'm back in Jeddah because of how smooth the landing was. Is that something that's that's instilled in, in the up-and-coming pilots? Uh, honestly, it's not one of the items that we concentrate on. Okay. But it, it's a fact. It's it's true. And, and we see that. And I think one of the items is our training program is very rigorous like I said, and I'll tell you why it is and what differentiates us from other airlines. Saudia was established as a mission-based airlines, meaning? So you have two types of operations, a commercial-based, a company or a setup, an entity that's doing something to make money and a mission-based. It could be military, it could be the government where they have a duty to, to give. So for us, when we started off as Saudia, the government, it, it wasn't a company to make money. It was, it was a company to provide a service to the, to the nationals. You know, our, our country has always been following in that direction, thinking of the benefit for its, its, its populace. How can we go ahead and cross? It's a big country. People need to get from one area to the other area. So it was something that is done as a service to help the people of Saudi Arabia. It's a mission base. It wasn't there. No one was looking at Saudi at the beginning and saying, how much money did you make? They were like, did you tie up the cities? Do you have flights from the out cities to Riyadh, to Al-Khubar, to uh, Jeddah? How many flights are there? That's what it was. It was mission-based. Then when you're mission-based, one of the other things that, that we look at is safety. So I'm not going to say, well, how much money did we spend on safety this year? We spent uh, 50 million? No, I think we got to cut the budget. We need to make a little extra what we were always looking at is how can we make our airline safer to the point that our training program became its, its uh, increased training, more training than other airlines had at, at a higher standard, I think, than you know my perception of it that other airlines have. 
And, and that, even now, when we move towards privatization, and we, you know, we're, there's a big transformation occurring in Saudi, and maybe we'll touch on later. But we're, even with that change, it remained instilled in our pilots, in our instructors, the quality that we want to have in Saudia with our pilots. And I think that's what made the difference really between us and, and others when you fly. You touched on the training program and the training facility over here has its own building and it's really something that yes. I promised you I'll visit and I will. Sure. Um, can can you tell me a little bit about you know what, what that world is all about? Um, because, uh, you know, we know the brand. We, we we obviously you know we're on the planes, but we don't see what's happening behind the scenes. Yes. So that's something that I think a lot of people would like to hear. Okay. Uh, we served the airlines in 1959. Started doing training for their own pilots. So instead of sending people outside, they started doing training in, in the kingdom, and uh, complemented by by training outside. But that's when uh, in 1959 is when it all started. And 1959 puts us as the only training center in the Middle East. Uh, at that time, they were training uh, solely pilots, little by little. It started gradually training, uh, extending the training to other areas in flight operations. Uh, that continued until uh, 2010. 2010, they said, we're going to break off this training department that's in Saudi Airlines, and we're going to make it as a separate company. We want it to be an SBU. So they made it off as an SBU, uh, and they they spun off lots of the items that were in the airlines, and they put it over there. Can you so, clarify, sorry, what an SBU is? It's a strategic business unit. Okay. So uh, just like just like uh, many other airlines around the world, whether you're talking about British Airways, United Airlines, uh, Lufthansa, they were all government-owned and little by little, they, they broke up that company and made them lots of different companies. When we broke it up, Serodia, the Serodia Group, it's a very big company. And we're government. So it broke up into an airlines, a hospital, a real estate company, a ground operations company, a training uh, company. So we broke up into actually 13 different companies at that point. One of them was the training academy. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing. I mean, a long time ago, we need to bring people from outside. Now we have people that uh, they were born and raised on maintaining simulators. I have people with 30, 40 years, you know, experience doing all type of technical services. I know what, you know, we have the expertise. It's their born and bred aviation. They know exactly what they're doing. And or what we said is, let's expand this. We're not supporting the rest of the ecosystem. So lots of the companies inside that are in aviation, they weren't coming to our training center because we didn't open it all for, for other entities. Mm -hmm. Then we said, no, let's go ahead and we want to support. How do we support Vision 2030? And then we started our transformation. The transformation actually started in 2015. We, uh, we, we increased it again. There's a Shine initiative, we call it Shine Initiative, where they added a lot more items to the transformation. And the way I like to look at it is all of the country is going through a transformation. Our leaders have challenged us to keep up the pace that they're moving at. You see the tremendous change that's occurring in the country. I like to call the Saudia transformation, transformation on steroids because of what we're doing, the amount of projects we're doing and uh, how we're there to support the whole aviation ecosystem in the kingdom, as well as spreading out to all of the international regions. Now, uh, you know, maybe I'll take a little time to expand on this a, a bit, if that's okay. Please. The, all of the training from these 13 companies, or at least the 100% companies, went ahead and we centralized them into our academy. So previously, for example, business training was being done in Serodia. Uh, English language was being done in our maintenance company at the academy and in a different department in Saudia. What we did is we got all of the training and we said, let's make it more efficient. Let's get the best instructors. Let's get the, be let's get the best equipment. Let's centralize it all in one location. We strengthen it. We make it very efficient. And we improve the quality. Sell it, not only maintain it for us, we give it to the rest of the country. And we want to have one umbrella 
that covers all of the aviation ecosystem. And already, as Saudia and a group, we do cover all touch points of the ecosystem. So whether we're talking about uh, ground equipment, whether we're talking about sales, whether we're talking about maintenance, whether we're talking about pilots, flight attendants, all throughout the ecosystem, we're doing that training inside. So now the only thing we did is we said, let's open the doors and extend to see what else is needed in the aviation industry. Why do we say on steroids? Uh, I'll tell you why. We had not many projects moving at that time. Currently, certain projects have been accomplished and certain uh, projects are on their way. Saudi is building a maintenance facility in Jeddah that is one of the biggest maintenance facilities in the Middle East to handle Kaya. Same. Or- yes. <clears throat> on the northeast side of the airport, they're calling it uh, the maintenance village because it's not just our maintenance company. All other maintenance uh, companies that are, are, are well-known are also establishing themselves there. And it's going to be one of the biggest maintenance villages. We intend not only to do aircraft for Saudi and for the, the local companies, we want to have it also to bring business inside to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That's one. For our maintenance training programs, we used to graduate around 30, around 30, 32, 36 people per year uh, since... It's since 2014 until 2021. This has been incorporated now into the academy. Again, it moved from the maintenance, everything training centralized with us. We moved from 30-something students. In 2022, we accepted 200 students. In 2023, we accepted another 200 students. Now the enrollment is 400. We have... uh, uh, the, the the amount that graduate, inshallah, we're expecting next year, we'll have 200 the year after that, 400 the year after that, around 600 people. At the same time, while we're doing this, we're building another maintenance school at the maintenance village that can accommodate 1,200 students. So we're going from 32 to in two years, we're going to be able to pull out 1,200 students. And that's to support, again, not just Saudi Arabia, we want to support the, the Middle East and the whole area. We want Saudi Arabia, and it will happen, that we will be the hub for aviation for this whole region. We have the government support. We have our leaders uh, in, the, in the aviation industry, their support, and with that, we can achieve it. Uh, third thing we're doing is we're opening a new location in Riyadh. Riyadh is the capital. They don't have any... Uh, major aviation training facilities. We're opening in there next year. And that's going to also give a big boost to all of the companies that are there that will help provide uh, aviation training, aviation support, and all of the support services training that they need. The fourth thing, when COVID happened, we were already thinking about our expansion. So as soon as COVID hit, six months in, Everyone is going ahead and decreasing their payroll. What can we do with employees? What, let's stop growing. Let's, let's put everything on hold. At that point, we went to uh, our boss, uh, His Excellency Ibrahim Al-Omar, and uh, we told him we want to invest and we want to buy some more simulators. At the beginning, he, you know, he, he said, well, tell me why. He goes, simulator all across the industry, we're, you know, we're cutting down. And we said, well, it just, it's logical. Everyone is shutting down. As soon as things start operating, what's going to happen? There's going to be a demand of training. Let's not follow what everyone else is doing. Let's do what we think is right. So we went ahead. He approved it through his vision leadership. We went ahead, got another simulator. We had two A320 simulators at that time. We increased it to three. Now, we're in the next month, we're inaugurating. We have two more simulators coming in. We'll bring five simulators for the A320 just. We're not talking about the other fleets. Five A320s. What does five A320s in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia means? Five A320s means I can cover every single company in Saudi Arabia and all of their training needs in the kingdom. No one has to go outside anymore. Yeah. You'll spread it across the major cities? All No. They will be maintained in Jeddah and Riyadh, okay. where their major airlines are. Uh, that's what it'll be maintained. But right now, we're covering the whole ecosystem. So before we were only looking at Saudi, now we're looking at other other areas. 
there's been a major shift in the way Saudi approaches uh, the way they operate. I mean, it, when you say steroids, I, I can see exactly you know what what you meant. Was it the vision that was the catalyst for okay, let's really take the airline to the next level? I think when we see what's going on in the country. Uh, you can't sit down and watch things continue as normal. There's no more business as usual. What we want to do is we don't want to look at our competitors. We don't want to look at what anyone else is doing. The only thing we need is to be energized like we have been through our leadership, seeing the speed that they're moving at, and that we want it's our job to go ahead and ensure that we're keeping up the areas that we're required to do to support the vision, to make it, uh, make it real. When we're talking about uh, the change we want in the kingdom, it's nice to talk about, will we need more airplanes? They want 300 million, at least, passengers in 2030. Currently, we have around 100 million passengers. It's going to go to 300, 330, approximately. It's a big jump. But airplanes is... Well, no, you need airplanes to bring these people in. But what's about all of the training? The training you need for the people who fly these airplanes, the, the training that you need for the flight attendants, the training that you need at airports, the training that you need for ground handling services, the training that you need for all of these areas that has to support that ecosystem. We're here to help work in developing all of those areas so that our dream can become a reality. And one of the things that we, we say in Saudia is that we're the wings of 2030. Why do we say we're the wings of 2030? We're the ones to support it. We will help it become a reality. And we're the people that will bring the people to the, to the country to have them over here. Uh, when we look at Vision 2030 and just talk about training, uh, one of the areas we expanded into, and I'll tell you, we have four major areas of, of training. The first area is flight. And that covers pilots, it covers the flight attendants, it covers safety, it covers, it covers dangerous goods, other items that we have to deal with when we're dealing it in flying. One subpart of that flying is hospitality. Hospitality, uh, we're working with the Ministry of Tourism, uh, getting qualified as, as one of the, the schools that are attested to, to the highest quality for hospitality. And why is that? Who is the first, if we have visitors coming to Saudi Arabia, who are the first people you see that represent Saudi Arabia? It's the flight attendants. Flight attendant. As soon as you walk in, if you, you see their hospitality, you see them serving the Saudi coffee, uh, the dates, how they welcome you, how they're treating you, the, that's the first impression touch points. that you get when you're coming to our country. So it's not Saudi is representing uh, the airlines. Saudi is representing the country, and that's one of the things that, that we're also working on. Uh, so it, that's hospitality. The second area that we get into is business training. So when we said we want to have one umbrella that covers the full ecosystem for everything into aviation, there are certain soft skills, or let's say people skills, that are very important to develop. You can, treat, you can, change, uh, you can teach someone to be a pilot, a mechanic, all of these different items. But all of them have to have the soft skills, how to interact with people, uh, finance, uh, business writing, uh, leadership skills, project management skills. All of these things come into play with everyone in the different areas. So in order to do that, we said we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We know what we're good at. We're excellent in all of these technical items, but I can't compete with the major universities in education for leaders. So what did we do? We said, let's go ahead and partner with the best in the industry to have them support us. Towards that, in the first few years that we had from between 2020 and 2022, that's when all of these things were put under the umbrella. Uh, we want to improve all of the areas. One of the areas is uh, first aid. So I don't know if everyone knows, but all of the pilots flight attendants, et cetera, that work on the airplane, they're all trained in first aid. So we went ahead and we got certified by the Saudi Heart Association, certified by the American Heart Association. 
Now, this is above and beyond our, our current certifications. We're already certified by the civil aviation authorities, but we want to take it to that next level in all of the items we do. So we went ahead and we did that. We looked at airline manufacturers and certain items in, in building air, aircrafts and uh, other items. So we went ahead and we partnered up with Airbus University. Airbus University, they, they have uh, programs over there that all of their management go through, their top executives, everyone. If you go to Airbus, you have to go through this school. We partnered up with them to gain their expertise and also to share our expertise with them. So what we did is we sent such an instructors to France. They went ahead and they stayed with Airbus University. Airbus University sent some people over here. And now we have a partnership where we target any other companies in Saudi Arabia that needs that type of education that will bring it to them. The same type of partnerships we have with ICAO, which is the civil aviation regulator for the world. We have a qualification as a regional training partner for IATA, which is the airline association Training, uh, training entity for the whole world. We have uh, coordination with EF Halt. We have uh, project management with, uh, we have uh, PhDs from Harvard, from other places in the world that are all working with us in so many different areas that, uh, you know, I, again, it, it depends on how much time we have uh, to, <laughs> to cover these items. But that's one of the things that people get surprised when they come to us. They think we're only aviation. Way more than that. It's way more 13, than that. as you mentioned. I'm taking notes as you speak. It's, <laughs> 13. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's way more than that. And the last thing, of course, that I want to talk, there are four areas. One is the flying. Second is the business area, which we call continuous studies. Uh, third area is maintenance, technical training, where we talked we talked a little bit about. And, and uh, then the last one is ground operations and uh, ticketing, sales, uh, things like that. Now, another thing, what differentiates us from the other schools in, in the kingdom? We don't teach you in the classroom only. We go to the field. So if you take with us how to operate specific equipment, we train you in our classrooms, we train you in our simulators, then we go to the different airports that you operate in, and our instructors go there, and they actually teach you on how to drive it, how to utilize it, how to do the baggage handling, all of that. So we're hands-on in everything we do, which is a big difference from, from other schools. And that crosses through all of our disciplines. If you study maintenance with us, you can come in from zero. High school education will give you your license to become a, a technician. Then we'll teach you how to remove the engine of a 787. Or we'll teach you how to uh, do the avionics panel for a 777 or anything you need for the 320, whatever it is. We take you from zero to you being on the line, working on the aircraft, hands-on, and our instructors are with you 24-7. That's the difference, that what we provide. When we looked at a basis to build our school, we didn't look at other schools. We said, what would work for us? What do we want to become? I don't want to say, well, what is this airline doing? What's that airline doing? What can we do to support our kingdom in its journey? And that's why none of us are sleeping. Everyone is working continuously. But it's because right now we love what we're doing. We see the accomplishments that are happening, and we're happy to be pushing forward uh, in this strength, in this transformation that we have towards bringing all of the aviation training under one umbrella under us to support our ecosystem in the kingdom and with, throughout the region. I noticed a couple of times you said that we don't look at the competition. Is that your philosophy, the airline's philosophy, or is that just the way, is that the way things work in Saudi I think in, in the academy specifically, uh, and when I say we don't look at the competition, it's not that we don't want to know what they're doing. In, you know, intelligence is one of the most important things in business. You need to know what's going around. But... We need to develop something that's specific for us. If I have enough information, I don't need to be a follower. We don't need more followers. And I think that's obvious, not just for us in what we're doing. That's obvious when you look at the line. That's obvious when you look at Neo, when you look at the Red Sea project, all of the new items that are occurring. They're, they didn't look at the competition and say what they're doing. They didn't look at anyone else. They said, we're Saudi. 
we can do it. We have the knowledge. We want to make something happen and we'll make it happen. And that's what we're doing also in the airlines. The same vision that our leadership is moving forward in is the same vision that we're putting ahead in the academy, in Serdia, to try to develop and again, keep up with, uh, you know, the, the, what's, what's occurring in the kingdom. I think it's a good method or model to follow. I mean, when you said the line, yeah, that's not like anything that it was, that was ever done. And if, uh, if the projects that are currently, the giga projects that are currently underway were projects that were copied, A, it wouldn't be received well, because we've seen too many examples of, of countries copying and just uh, authenticity, I think, is a word that is used a lot uh, that is in the DNA of these projects that are coming up. Yes. And I think it's a good model to follow in, in whatever industry you're in. Do it your way. Um, sometimes the competition, I see it in my line of work. It's a distraction. Oh, that person had that on. Mm, okay, what can I do to get someone equally as big as that? You're being distracted. Stay in your lane. Yeah. And I, and I loved what you said about track record. I think that your track record is all the data you need to make decisions with, you know, the analytics that you get, your track record. Yeah. Someone recently said, the person who succeeds is the one who has failed the most. Fail the mo I want to fail as quickly as I can because the more I fail, the quicker I will succeed. And that just changed the whole weight of my mind. Yes. The whole way you perceive everything. Exactly. Yeah. Once you do that, you're not afraid of failure. You're not. Yeah. Get failing. Get failing more. Eventually you will <laughs> succeed. It's a funny word. People look at it negatively, but it really isn't. No, definitely. Definitely. If, and if you don't, that means you're not taking chances. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the greatest, uh, the greatest profit comes with the great, the greater risk you're, you're willing to take. Yeah. So that's the way we need to move forward. And the thing that you mentioned about authenticity, do you mind if I ask you a question? Please, yeah. What do you think of a Serodia rebranding? Initially, initially I was a little surprised. Yeah. I was like, are we going back to where we were? But then the more I focused on the logo and I said, okay, it, it, it's tweaked. It's, it's not the same. There's a lot of brand equity in that old school and yes. it's green it initially I, I met it with a bit of uh hesitation and now i just feel like it's so fitting and i wish it never changed <laughs> <laughs> so so in short uh that's it and, I, and i'm a branding guy i have a marketing background oh okay <laughs> when i see it it reminds me of my father who did 20 years in wow. in the airline and uh, and i think if he was alive today he would uh, have a big smile on his face seeing that logo there because there's so much yeah. brand equity in it, isn't it, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So so I, I like it. And you know what I love about it the most? What? Everyone's talking about it. Yes. Yes. What's talking about? I, I, I'm so happy when, when, when it came out. And uh, again, you get worried about the response. I mean, you know, we have uh, our own perception of the way, you know, we see it. And, you know, we have groups coming in and telling us what they think. But still, the real test is when you put it out in the market and see what happens. And I think uh, when we were doing this, one of the main items we thought about, and it, you know, in branding, you can come with something new, you know, fancy colors, something new, you know, loud. And but we said, let's do something a little deeper. Uh, let's really contemplate on where we want to go. Let's really think about it. It's not just a color pattern. And and when we did it in that manner, it's. And I, this is for me, and I think for lots of the, the other people that we have around. Uh, when we go to Serodia, Serodia isn't just a, a brand. Serodia is home. Serodia is that warm feeling that you get when, when, when you see it. I mean, it reminds you the first time you went outside. It reminds you of, of beautiful times. And, and we didn't say, we're not going to go back to that. But... Let's understand this is our culture. This is part of us. I think the worst thing is when is when you when you start off with something that has uh, nothing inside. I, I I don't know how, to, how I don't know if I'm saying this right, but when I when I come back to Saudi Arabia when I travel, if I'm traveling on a foreign airlines, uh, when I I don't feel I'm home until I I put my foot on the airport. However, if I'm in 
Los Angeles or Jakarta or Rome, as soon as I put my foot on the stair of the aircraft, I feel I'm home. Then you smell the coffee. Then I smell the coffee. <laughs> Definitely, I, that, that I, I miss so much. Uh, but that's, I think that's one of the things that, that we said. It, it's part of our culture. It's part of who we are. And even when they looked at the, the color palette, I mean, it, it, you know, what is Saudia? And they took the three color palettes for items around the kingdom. You know, the, the green with our, with our flag, with what do we love, the, the brown for our deserts that are so beautiful, the, the blue for our seas, our, our actual beautiful sea that we, that are, that, you know, that are unused. And beautiful places to go to. Uh, so all of that, it, it, you know, we, we try to bundle the whole, all of the Saudi identity yeah. into that. And we're proud of our Saudi identity. We don't want to move away from that. That's something that's, that's, that's part of us that we want to keep. And, and, you know, we're happy that in the end it got the response that, that, that it, it did. So we're really happy about that. I have to salute. And, and, and I just want to add to my answer that it was bold and I salute boldness because no one has ever accomplished anything without taking a little bit of risk, whatever it was, yeah. whatever it was. And um, not to say risky, but it was it was bold, not looking at the competition. I don't think, and I did a bit of research because yeah. I love my marketing and branding. Yes. I couldn't find one company that ever went back to close to the identity of yesteryear. It, it wasn't done before. Yeah. And now it speaks volumes to what you said that we don't really look at what's happening there. We do it our way. Yes. I sense that yeah. within a year from now, yeah. let's see if I'm right. Maybe we can visit this topic in a year. Okay. A year from now, uh, a well-known brand will go back to yester, yesteryears or yester eras logo because it was done before. It's, it's, it's no longer impressive when the second person does it. Yes. But the idea to be so bold and say, we want to go back to that because it, you know, that era was, there's so many reasons that we want to go back to it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if others follow suit. I, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, probably, I, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. It was a bold mood. I, I think it was in the right direction. And, you know, we're good all bold. happy about it. Good bold. Good bold, yeah, yes. Honestly, definitely. Good bold. Definitely. Um, what's your favorite plane to fly? Oh, that's a, that's a interesting question. Uh, been in so many since. I, I, I've been in so many aircraft. Um Honestly, I, you know, I just love flying. I think of flying and aircraft, they're just like uh, different uh, coffees. I love coffee. Uh, and I think as, as a coffee connoisseur, you know, you like one for a specific boldness that it has. You like another one for how uh, mild it is, or maybe it goes down a, a little better, or the, the little taste, uh, aftertaste or taste that it has. I think flying is the same. Um you know, the, the, the main two manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus, they both make wonderful, wonderful airplanes. Uh, I enjoyed flying, uh, I enjoyed flying um, both of them. I enjoyed flying all of them. You know, we flew McDonnell Douglas, a TriStar. That was an interesting They're airplane to fly. Tail. Yes, the trash that was, that was, a, yeah. that was an interesting airplane because it had swept back wings and it flew a little faster than the other aircrafts would fly. So that was a really interesting airplane to fly. And the cockpit was so big it's the biggest cockpit i think that i've ever been in and uh that one was really really interesting i, I loved flying that but honestly since the i think every airplane that i flew i've been excited about flying i remember when we first graduated from the u.s and we moved to saudi arabia and they told me you're going to fly you know 737 i was like wow this is amazing i'm going to fly 737 and i loved it and then they said, you're going to a TriStar. And I, ah, wow. I, and I loved it. And then they're going to the trips. Ah, well. There's not one airplane that I went to that I was like, ah, do I have to fly this one? I wish it was something else. I really enjoyed all of them. And like I said, everyone has a different taste. And uh, in fact, this one's a little heavier, but it's a little more sturdy. This one, it's uh, the automation's a little more, but it makes your life a little easier in this area. This one has, so all of them have different aspects of them that I think is 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 interesting so uh, I, I can't put one above above the other uh, and I, th I 
I just love flying in general. So I think all, all airplanes are wonderful to fly. I don't think there's a place that's more intimidating for me or your average non-pilot person than a cockpit. Yep. The, the, the number of buttons that are in there. I mean, do you know what every button does? You know, that's... <laughs> all the way to the back. There's, I just marvel at it. And I remember from the days of when my dad used to take me yes. to the cockpit. I don't think it's something that can be done these days. Um, but uh, it's ridiculous, Captain, how many buttons there are there. I mean, that must have taken you a long time to Listen, one of one of the items before I started flying, when I was younger and we'd go into a cockpit, that's the exact same question that I asked. Do you really have to know what every button does? And uh, when, I, when I studied to become a pilot, I found out that not only do you have to know what every button does, every button has a system behind it and you have to understand every system behind it. And every button has a light that could go on, it could be off, it could be blinking. You have to know what every one of those means. You're, so, <laughs> yes, you, you need to know what every button does. And uh, it, it's a lot of studying. It's a lot of studying. You know, if, if, you, if you want to be able to become a pilot, if you have the passion for it, yeah, there's lots of studying involved. There's uh, lots of knowledge that's involved because you get into not just the aeronautics, uh, how the airfoil works, uh, you know, thrust ratios, other items. You also have to really understand electric systems, hydraulic systems, air conditioning system, pneumatics, you know, hydro, all of these things, you know, you have to put it together and then you have to understand all together how they, how they work and what's, you know, what's the synergy behind them. And if this one goes, what's your best approach? And if this one happens, what's your best approach? And uh, like I said, flying is very regulated and it's, you know, you have to conform all of the, to all these different items. However, when can you tell if you have a really good pilot? And that's when a situation occurs that's not in the books. So we have people writing books. If you lose this electric system, this is what you do. If you lose this, this is what you do. But in real life, that's not always what happens. Things happen that are not dictated or that don't have procedures. And that's when you can tell if you have really good pilots. And honestly, and you know, and I, and I say this confidently, dealing with pilots, hiring pilots, working with pilots, we have from the best pilots in the world. Not, I mean, this is an un, un, honest, for me, unbiased statement. I really am confident that we have from the best pilots in the world. I, I could feel a dream landing. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. The A380 is controversial. I think when it's said and done, it will be looked at as some people will say it was a success. Some people say it wasn't. One of the airlines said that we're, you know, looking to retire the ones that we have. How? Why did it not become the success that the Triple Seven was, for example? I think that uh, goes back to uh, the the concept of, of, of it, it has partly to do with rulemaking, partly to do with efficiency, partly to do with fuel. So it, it, it's a more complex answer than, than a simple answer. But uh, basically, uh, four-engine aircraft are not as efficient as two-engine aircraft. So um, that's one of the major concerns. So if you see all around the world, previously, uh, the biggest aircraft that were flying, you know, it's a continental, all international flights, you'd have four-engine aircraft. 747s, later on, A380s came about, but, or you'd have three-engine aircraft, the L-1011, other aircraft as well. Uh, there's certain regulations that stipulate that if you have less than three engines, there's certain rules you have to follow if you want to stay more than 60 minutes away from an airport. Okay. So you'd have to have very high standards of safety in order to fly a two-engine aircraft far away from an airport, which is usually when you do international flights, you're crossing the Atlantic, crossing the Pacific, etc. Nowadays, that level of safety is there and everyone is attaining it. It's not like it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was difficult to attain that efficiency. Now, it's something that everyone has reached. So now we don't have a regulatory item that's inhibiting us from flying. And the cost of maintaining uh, the aircraft is cheaper, or the two engines, and the, the fuel efficiency as well. You don't have to use that much fuel. And the, you know, the fuel costs is, is one, one of the biggest costs of an airlines. 
So they have to take that in consideration. So I don't think really it has to do with uh, a 747 or A380. It has more to do with four-engine aircraft as opposed to two-engine aircraft operating. I think that's the main item that's been keeping them now away or that we're not going to see. Uh, I don't think we'll see new aircraft with four engines unless it's something spectacular, but I, I don't see it in the near future. On the subject of efficiency and sustainability, how far are we from not using jet fuel as the fuel for an aircraft? Is electrification on the cars in the aviation world? Do, 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 do you foresee a day where, where we'll see that? I Well, we know it's already working on smaller aircrafts. We know, sir, the airlines, for example, example we're working with the Lilium, uh, but these are, are smaller aircraft, uh, short distance. Uh, for the definite for the bigger aircraft, definitely it's possible. When we're talking about sustainability, uh, sustainability isn't just about not using uh, fuel. It's it's about is it something that we can do without hurting the environment? Uh, how many lithium batteries do you need to power an aircraft of the size of a seven four seven or a triple seven? How how helping is that to, to, to the environment? Uh, do we have that those amount uh, to be providing this with all of the electric cars that they intend to build? I mean, it's just an issue that I think it's much more complex than just saying let's throw some batteries into this airplane and go. Can we do it? I'm sure it, it, it's feasible. I'm sure they can do it. Uh, I don't think it's an issue. I think people are capable of doing it. But I think the complexity, the economic benefit even the uh, environmental benefit, I think needs to really be looked at very well before people start moving in that direction. It's funny, you, you mentioned the supply word. Um, someone once told me the reason why not everyone is using electric cars today is because there wouldn't be enough power supply to uh, charge every electric car if there was a switch overnight. Uh, so it wasn't about an adoptability thing or people no, it's it's there. Thank God that people aren't uh, going electric or EV at the rate that you yes. know some of these companies would rather because there isn't enough power supply to go around. Definitely, which is another uh, uh, issue on its own. Definitely, definitely. Um, <clears throat> big news in the aviation sector six months ago was it or so? Riyadh Air. You know, yes. they say they come online in about two years' time. Um, from the standpoint of you know competition and it being healthy. Um, what kind of adjustments do you see Saudia making in, in that area? Uh, we, we don't look at uh, Riyadh Air as a competitor. We look at actually uh, Riyadh Air as one of the companies, one of our sister companies that's helped supporting Vision 2030. So uh, there's lots of synergy uh, between us and Riyadh Air. Uh, we want them to succeed. The market that's here to grow in Saudi Arabia is tremendous. Uh, on the subject of the uh, academy and the flourishing or booming tourism sector that we are witnessing in Saudi, um, what are some of the ways that the Saudi academy is contributing to the development of this booming tourism that we're seeing right now? Uh, beautiful uh, question. And, and uh, you know, a little bit we touched on how Saudi, uh, the, the, the academy itself, uh, we teach hospitality. I mean, that's been our bread and butter for, for years. When we talk about hospitality, what is it basically? It's uh, receiving guests, uh, dealing with uh, the guests, uh, treating them properly, customer service, uh, how to provide, if it's uh, restaurants or others, how to present food, how to uh, you know deal, deal with all the rest of these items. And this is something we've been doing forever. This is something we've been doing for a long time. Uh, one of the the most valuable comments we have nowadays is uh, our cabin crew. I think our cabin crew in the past, you know, eight years have developed tremendously. Uh, Saudia just, uh, you know, was at the apex awards for, for one of the best airlines in the world. Uh, and that shows our, our capabilities in hospitality. Saying that, we're working with the, with the Ministry of Tourism in getting uh, approval to support the tourism, the tourism uh, market through training of other 
companies such as uh, hotels, uh, uh, restaurants, etc. All of these areas, we're now capable to to train them. So we want to support that market because I think if you go in general, there's not that much in the market. If you look for restaurants, where are they training their uh, personnel, uh, quality, uh, service, uh, safety for the food? You know, there's there's certain items in that. We train all of those items. So I think that's our door to to uh, to support them in in that area. Besides, of course, the basic skills of teaching the you know flight attendants throughout throughout the ecosystem. So definitely, that's our area that we think that you know we're very strong in the, and that we're providing currently. So many touch points between the two that someone, without thinking of it too much, would think that they're too disconnected. But but no, I mean Saudi Airlines, you you have. It's all about hospitality and training, yes. and that coincides with what's happening on a, on a touristic level. Yes, one of the one of the items that that we do also, I think, when we're talking about the academy, that uh, like I said, everyone thinks it's, it's solely flight. We train uh, the border guard. We're involved when they have uh, activities, like they they had uh, this past year. There was one activity where they showed if a vessel was on fire. How do you go ahead and deal with it and their response? And we're part of that with them. We're, we go ahead because we help work with them on different training items. We work with Medivac, uh, we work with them as well. A training provider, we provide lots of, lots of the, the, the items we have. Lots of areas under the Ministry of Defense, we work with them as well. Uh, other, other security areas. So there's lots of things that, that we cover in the academy as a market as a whole. But let me tell you one of the most beautiful things that I think is beneficial for for everyone. Uh, like I said, the aviation industry, they always learn from their mistakes. There's something called CRM, which is it started off as cockpit resource management. Cockpit resource management is really an item that's how do you work together together better as a team? So at the beginning, when this concept was developed, it was developed by United Airlines quite a while back, and then uh, later on, it was regulated that you have to do it. Uh, all airlines in the world now, they have to do CRM. It was how do you act together? Because things we could think things are perfectly all right, but issues happen. And it's because the way we communicate, we didn't use proper resources, uh, we didn't work as a team, and things go wrong. This expanded from cockpit resource management. <coughs> it ex- it <laughs> You okay? It, it expanded to, cabin, to, to crew resource management where we went ahead and we involved the cabin crew in it. So it started off as a small circle, just the cockpit crew. It increased to the cabin crew. From the cabin crew, it increased to the maintenance crew. And now we use it as a group, as a whole. Now, why am I bringing in this item, CRM? I say, well, CRM, good, that's for an airlines. They can do it. CRM helps you at home. It helps you as a company. It helps you as an, as an airlines. It makes your team function as a team. So one of the items that we did, we do lots of uh, work with the government, certain things we do it uh, to support the government in projects without taking any uh, revenue from it. One of the items is we help support 911. So when 911, they went ahead and did an umbrella in Jid, they started here in, in Mecca. Uh, when they first started it, they have lots of different government agencies working together. So you have the police department, you have the fire department, you have the electric company, you have the water company, and they have to work together as a team. The unified. A unified response. So when they did that unified response, we went over there, we looked at it, we listened to their calls, and we went ahead and developed a specific course for them on how to work better together. And uh, they were very happy with their course. The general, he called me in and he was like, uh, Captain, uh, you caused a problem for me. And, you know, come here to Mecca. And I was like, okay, you know, let me, what did I, what did we do wrong? I, I went over there and uh, the general was like, uh, the problem you cause is everyone wants to take your course. He goes, so you have to either give us more courses or, you know, do something else. So we said, we'll do something better. This is for the government. We're government. Let's go ahead and train your trainers how to do this. You know, we'll sit with you. We'll give you all of the all of the items, and you guys go ahead and continue with it. The same course, we gave it to. We gave the same course 
to the passports department. We gave it to uh, uh, the interior ministry. We gave it to uh, uh, to, to, for the for, for, for the two holy mosques, for Mecca and Medina. Uh, we went ahead and we sat with them to to uh, you know show them what's how, how do you work together as a team. So really, this is the one course that I think is beneficial to every business, to every home. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to sell it, or you know, although we do provide it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's facts. I mean, you must it's, feel so good that you're regarded as I, best practice. I'm. I'm. The the reason I, I'm I'm talking about this is because really we're extremely happy about it. I mean, this is something that succeeded in the aviation industry that crossed borders into hospitals, into uh, security agencies, into all types ministries, of areas, yeah. ministries that can go ahead and, and work with it. So we're very happy with 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 that program and just show you the the amount of, uh, you know, different areas that we think the aviation, air, you know, industry supports in normal businesses in, in, in other areas. Fascinating. Really, I just got to underscore that word again, to, to be regarded as best practice really must feel good. Yes, one thing, one thing that we we love in the academy, and, and I, you know, I said it. I think this might be the third time how highly regulated it is. In order for any airlines to come to our academy, number one, we have to be audited by the Civil Aviation Authority. Then we have to be audited by every airlines that uses us. Then we have to be audited by the manufacturers. Uh, the, uh, whether Boeing or Airbus, when when we're using their simulator, you know, simulators and putting other items, they evaluate us. If Saudi Arabian Airlines or anyone using our facilities wants to fly to a country, any country, that country they come and they audit us as well. We have the most highly audited academies ever, anywhere. We're you could probably drop by us, you know, every other week. There's a different entity, either government or company that's auditing us. So we take pride that what we do is at such a high level that, we, you know, that we're, we're succeeding in, in this area. One of the things we recently signed with is also the Ministry of Human Resources. And uh, we signed an agreement with them in 2022 to train, uh, I think, around 5,000 students. Uh, we worked with them in 2023. They said they're going to reevaluate all of the schools that they were doing business with, and the thing that I was happy w- with is they were there were 17 schools. They ended up with four, and uh, I, I don't want to say which. You know, we're not supposed to say you know where are we in the four, but I, I'll just say I'm very happy with with the results. And they just said they want to continue with us, and that you know the training that they have is amazing through that. So I'm you know again. It just shows that when we try to use the standards that we have at the aviation industry, and we're just using it throughout all of the other education areas, you know, we're trying to hold it to the same standard that we do as, as aviation. When we're, we're working in human resources or working in other training, finance training, we, we put it in the same quality circle that we put in for the aviation training. And I think that's what really lifts up the game of the academy in, in this area. I can guess which one of the four you guys were at. I, I think so. 